Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy this selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. So welcome everyone to uh, Temple Israel University, what we call TIU. Uh, no requirements or exams, just your smiling faces and presence. Tonight we begin the countdown to the high holidays. It is the eve of 901 here in Memphis. This is Erico 901, September 1st is a big date, but it's also the eve of the Fifth of Elul, which is the month leading to Rosh Hashanah. And I'm thrilled to share that starting tonight, for the next four Wednesday nights, our clergy and teachers want to help you prepare your heart for the High Holy Days. You'll have me tonight. You will have Rabbi Jeff Dreyfus, uh, a, a fascinating and amazing member of our Temple Israel community who's a professor at Ole Miss. Professor Rick Balkin will be with us one evening. And then you will be among the first to meet Temple's first ever music and cantorial director, Emily Groff Heilborn. Uh, who's joining us from Vanderbilt University, and we're so happy that she and her spouse, Nick, are part of the Temple family as of this week. So Rosh Hashanah is referred to in the Torah as the day of sounding the shofar, Yom Truah. It's also called Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembering. A lot of people are not aware that this day of sounding the shofar and day of remembering was not called Rosh Hashanah, the new year, until Talmudic times. Now, while it's clear that this was a festival day in the Bible, I want to read to you, I'm looking at it, from the book of Leviticus. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe complete rest, a sacred occasion commemorated with loud blasts. But the, the notion of Rosh Hashanah as the new year isn't in the Torah. Um, it came later. And as many of you know, 
In the tradition, Rosh Hashanah has the New Year's tied to the creation of the world. So as you might imagine, there's a debate in the Talmud as to when the world was created. Was it in the month when Passover falls, the first of Nisan in the spring? Or the first fall month we're heading towards, Tishrei? And um, as some of you may know in the ancient world, there were peop other peoples whose new year began in the spring and others in the fall. Leave it to Jews. The Talmud settles the argument by saying, you're both right. That's why there are four new years in the Jewish calendar. Nisan 1 two weeks before Passover, is the New Year Day for kings. What does that mean? That was the date used for determining how many years a king has ruled. And it's also January 1 on your checkbook. It's the first month. It's the New Year for months. Elul 1, the month we just started three days ago, is the New Year for tithing of animals. We don't talk about that anymore. I bet many of you heard about the other new year. What's the new year for trees? Tubishvat. There you go. That's the new year for trees in the environment. Tishrei 1, what we now call Rosh Hashanah, is the new year for years, and it marks the anniversary of the creation of the world. So, this whole month of Elul is a process of preparing ourselves for the coming high holidays. The shofar is blown after every morning service. I figure not all of you are at the morning service this morning, so that covers you. Um... During this month, we begin to wish each other in person and in writing, Shana Tova. Doesn't mean Happy New Year. Not all years are happy. What does it mean? A good New Year, right? A year hopefully filled with health and blessing. You're supposed to read, as I'm looking at Psalm 27 which you'll hear sung in the sanctuary on Rosh Hashanah itself, but throughout this month of Elul, and it begins with a verse, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Adonai ori v'yish'i. Many people visit the graves of their parents and of others who are important to them. Um, and then the end of this month, is marked by Slichot, the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah. I think it's September 18th or 19th. Um, we're going to do that with Havdalah at 6.30, and um, you're all invited to that. Just one more introductory note before we get into a theme tonight. I'll invite you to comment on. Um. 
What do you say during this month to people? Do you say Shana Tova? Yes. You could also say Lashana Tova Tikatevu. May you be inscribed for a good year in the book of life. You could say Lashana Tova Umituka Tikatevu. What does that mean? May you be inscribed for a good and sweet year. Mituka. Less common, if you're really on the fly, Ketiva Tova. <laughs> May you have a good inscription in the Book of Life. And the appropriate response, in case you're wondering, is um, same to you. Gam Lacha or Gam Lach. Between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, some people add to the um, what I've just said, Lashana Tova Tikatevu Temu. May you be inscribed and sealed for a good life. I titled this opening of our four preparing your heart for the high holy days. Making amends in an unapologetic world. Good news and bad news. The good news is that's the title of a book. The bad news is it's being released this week. (laughs) Um, Meaning, I don't have actual slides to share with you, but... It's a book written by uh, a marvelous author. Um, her name is Rabbi Dana Ruttenberg, Danya Ruttenberg. And it's about repentance, atonement, forgiveness, and repair. Not just on a personal level, but She also gets into our culture's most painful and unresolved issues. And just as the preview of the book, this is part of the ad for it. American culture focuses on letting go of grudges and redemption narratives instead of the perpetrator's obligations for harmed parties. And she looks at Maimonides, the medieval philosopher. And she notes how for him, here's the big idea. Forgiveness is less important than the repair work to which the person who caused harm is obligated. In common parlance, we call it making amends. Now, I know the marvelous recovery groups, whether it's AA, GA, Al-Anon, all the other great um, healing modalities, speak of this idea. But let's understand Maimonides lived over a thousand years ago. 
Now, he didn't come up with a 12-step process, but he had eight ladders of tzedakah. Remember, the highest form of giving is when you help someone become self-sufficient. Um, but in addition to the ladder of charity, he also laid out five steps of teshuva, repentance, naming the harm, owning it, starting to change, transformation, restitution and accepting consequences, apology, and the fifth is making different choices. Now, I don't want to get into what Rabbi um, Ruttenberg elaborates on. She applies this to many of the most significant and painful issues of our day, from systemic racism and the legacy of slavery to sexual violence. She even gets into Native American land rights. But I want to begin by asking any of you who've had experience in doing what Maimonides recommends without even knowing that you were Maimonidean. Last year, I, I talked about what forgiveness does for oneself. This year, I want to ask you how the process of not letting go of grudges, but of taking active steps towards making amends is empowering. Does anyone have a word to offer on that before you hear me share more Torah? Rabbi, one of the most profound experiences um, I had not long after we started coming to Temple was with a woman. Uh, she contacted me and asked me to ask to take me to dinner, and it was it was just before Rosh Hashanah or just before Yom Kippur, and um, she and I had had a misunderstanding, and she took it on herself to make amends and to make it right. I had never experienced anything quite like that. And it was, it was deeply, it, well, it, it taught me how, it taught me how to act. It was just amazing. Completely unexpected, Terry, huh? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Rabbi, this is Elaine. Um, that is one of the things that I appreciate about, appreciate about Judaism more than anything else. I absolutely love the yearly reflection back and to go back and to try to write things to other people and to myself and then to be done with it and to move into the new year clean. I, I grabbed my calendar and I looked back on the year and I wrote out the list of people actually just this afternoon. Um, so I, it, it's, it's one of my very favorite things. What a beautiful note to share and custom. Um, this month of Elul that we're starting this week, my teacher, Reb Zalman, of blessed memory, the father of the renewal movement, Zalman Sakhtar Salomi, 
He used to say that Elul is a time not only for introspection, but of inspection. So hearing Elaine talk about the list, in other words, your state of being should be checked out. Um, like you said, this we have this annual checkup. Um, even by professionals, he says, physicians, mental health specialists, spouses, and friends, those important to you. Because we often um, get lost in not just the pace of life, but whether it be in what's happened to us this past year, um, the sad, um, the happy, the treadmill of life. Um, so others want to share this notion of making amends in an unapologetic world. One thing happened to me. I don't know if you can hear me. Please. Um, right before my father died, um, he lived in Switzerland. He called me to see him. And he actually apologized for the way they had treated me when I was younger. And he said, we did it all wrong. He said, and I realize now and I am so sorry. He was too really, he was really too old to do a lot about it. But it meant a lot to me. So here's an additional gain from granting forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, or, or, or granting it. <clears throat> you ever think about why we hold on to grudges? It's often a psychologist once shared uh, with me, to retain power over the offender, right? But this is a false advantage. It, it grows out of impotence and weakness, not strength. Genuine forgiveness actually gives you authentic power. Um, the sense of superiority we feel against the offender and harboring a grudge and not forgiving them doesn't really empower you. It actually robs you of your self-respect and your inner strength. Um, I want to read to you uh, from the book, uh, Forgive. And Rabbi? Yeah, please. Uh, just before you read, I just wanted to mention that, um, and I always like to draw these uh, parallels to Buddhism, you know, the Buddhists will say things like that. Um, if you're holding a grudge against someone, it's like you're burning your own feet, you know, that kind of. Nice. Very nice. So here's the quote. When you forgive someone for hurting you, you perform spiritual surgery inside your soul. You cut away the wrong that was done to you through the magic eyes that can heal your soul. Detach that offending person from the hurt and let the hurt go. The way a child opens his or her hands 
and lets a trapped butterfly go free. So how is, forgi how is forgiveness and forgiving empowering? It helps us to restore our sense of self-worth and inner strength by not allowing us to wallow in last year's pain. Or for some of us, it could be many years' pain. By not, uh, by not permitting a past hurt to prevent us from moving on in the new year in our lives and in our relationships. So forgiving enables us to become masters of the way we manage our own personal lives. In other words, through forgiveness, we can become full human beings again um, who, who are not overcome by resentments and grudges. I'm going to put up on the screen, thanks to Ajay, in a minute. But first, I want to tell you um, a story that I think illustrates the power of forgiveness. It's about two friends, Nagib and Musa. And they were traveling. It's an ancient story. They had servants back then. They were going from town to town. And as they were attempting to cross a river... Musa almost drowned. But Nagib leaped in and saved Musa. Musa then asked his servant to carve these words into a nearby rock. Traveler, in this place, Nagib risked his life and saved the life of his friend Musa. Now, on their return trip, by that very same rock, Nagib and Musa began to quarrel. The argument grew nasty. And Nagib said some very hurtful words to Musa, whose life he had saved. Musa, in reply, took a stick and wrote in the sand... Traveler, in this place, Nagib, during a trivial argument, broke the heart of his friend Musa. So one of Musa's servants asked Musa why he had carved the reference to Nagib's heroism in stone while he had engraved his cruel remarks in sand. And Musa responded, I will always cherish the memory of how Nagib saved me. As for the insults, I hope that I will forgive him for them even before the words fade from the sand. So in other words, Musa had the kind of inner self-confidence that's the goal as we head toward the High Holy Days. Even though Nagib had not asked him for forgiveness, nor had Nagib retracted his nasty words, 
Musa made an effort to shrug off the strife between the two of them. Musa knew that he did not want to lose a friend. He did not want a few moments of arguing to overshadow the years of affection between the two of them. He was ready to offer forgiveness even before Nagib had asked for it. He understood that being free of anger was more important than being right. So ridding ourselves of whatever grievances rage within us and snatch away our happiness and our inner peace, emancipating ourselves from those past insults and injuries, forgiving those who hurt us, spiritual surgery. It also disinfects our minds and we can then see the good. Um, let's put up on the screen. I haven't gone over this, Jay, I'm sorry. There's some others before this, right? Are these that's the- all, That's all that Anna sent me. Then that's what we'll do. This is perfect, Ajay. Thank you. Would somebody read um, one of my rabbis, I mean, one of the most influential rabbis in my life, other than my father, Rabbi Howard Greenstein, a blessed memory, and my mentor, Rabbi Danziger and Dr. Marcus, is Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, who I brought to Memphis the first year I succeeded my predecessor, and um, he's one of the great modern Orthodox rabbis of the 20th century. Would somebody read the second paragraph? Rabbi Irving Yitz Greenberg. Rabbi, is there any way to make that larger? It's showing up very small. The, the lettering showing up very small on the screen. Okay. Um, yeah, a J, a J can do anything. If you'll scroll up to where it says Rabbi Irving Yitz Greenberg, go ahead, start there. Okay. I'll read it then. Rabbi Irving Yitz Greenberg, author of one of the classic guides to the holidays, The Jewish Way, explains that Elul is the time for accounting for the soul, or Heshban Hanefesh, a reckoning with oneself. Yitz, 82, a friend of my parents, which is why I call him Yitz, who is tall, slim, and somehow ethereal in his erudition, radiates placidity. If I could spend more time with Yitz, I'm convinced I'd be calmer, not to mention smarter. Just as the month before the summer is the time when Americans go on crash diets, fearing how their bodies will look on the beach, he writes in his book. So Elo, the month before Rosh Hashanah, became the time when Jews went on crash spiritual regiments, fearing how their souls would look when they stood naked before God. I asked some other trusted rabbis how they'd suggest going about this nakedness, this accounting for the soul. They recommended choosing one trait a day and examining that one quality. 
we may need to move it up a little bit. Yeah, and before you go on, I, I need to, of course, give you the source of what you're reading. Right. It's this book, My Jewish Year, by my friend Abby Pogrebin, and she spent a whole year traveling the country and looking at all 18 Jewish holidays over the course of the year, or 20. She used to be the producer um, at CBS. Uh, what, she worked at 60 Minutes. She was the president of Central Synagogue. She now has a great podcast and a TV show. I mean, a, a, a radio show. I contributed the uh, introduction to Tubishvat. This is from the chapter on Eul, which is our topic tonight. So in an attempt to find a list of traits... She Googles Elul exercises and comes up with a list of midot, traits, that will take me through all 40 days. It's an alphabetical litany of optional characteristics uh, suggested by a Toronto teacher named Modia Silver on his blog. It has since been taken down, um, but she received permission to print it in the book. So look at these traits, 40, starting in ALO, going into the high holidays. Let's see what they are. Go ahead, Russell. Uh, abstinence, alacrity or zeal. Yep, you want prosciutto, zerazut. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Arrogance, azut. Anger, chaos, the awe of God. Yirat Hashem, compassion, Rakamin. Okay, and as you read the next one, um, uh, Jay, we're not going to move on after he reads the next one, so let's stay with this for a minute. Go ahead. Courage, Omets, Lev. So in other words, um, some of you have probably done a lot of work on yourselves, inner work, so you know when people hold anger, it can eat you up inside getting that out of your system. That could become an ill practice. You know, one doesn't have to necessarily, um, it is a crash. It's like cramming for spiritual finals. Oh my God, I want to be ready for Rosh Hashanah. I'm going to be standing naked before God spiritually. I got to shed all this stuff. I've been arrogant. I've been angry. I need to work on my compassion. It's hard to get up in the morning without someone that I, I lost or without my job or whatever. I need courage. I spoke to a member today of Temple Israel who's homeless and penniless and was one of the most successful people in her field I knew. How, did, how does she get courage? you know, at a time like this. So we're all on different parts of the spectrum of each of these midot. They may not necessarily speak to all of us. You could meditate on two of them in the coming weeks. Um, so let's go on. Wait till you see. There are more. Let's go on. Here we go. Look at all these. All righty. Uh, 
cruelty. Akzariut. Akzariut. Yes, I know Russell, he doesn't have to work on that one, but there are some cruel people. Some people aren't even aware that what they're doing is cruel. They need to work on that. Keep going. Patience, I'm going across. It's, it's oh, no, 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 no. Please go down only because it oh, is okay, alphabetical. Well, that's true. It is. It is. Decisiveness. Paskanut. Paskanut. And let's, Paskanut. let's talk about that. So I was with someone who, you know anybody like this? Like, they are experts in their job. <laughs> they are punctilious and meticulous. But when it comes to choosing a desk, they can't make a decision. <laughs> or I know someone it took them six months to decide on a gas grill. Um, or so now that person said, I need to become a little more decisive. Or maybe sometimes we're too impulsive, so we need to focus on not being overly decisive. Keep going. Uh, envy. Oh, Kina. That's Kina. a big one. That's a big one. Equanimity. Manukat Hanefish. Equanimity and calm. Yes, that's right. Um, let's 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 uh, slow down a little. Let's slow down a little. And if anybody wants to comment on these, rather than we rattle them off. Each one okay. is a 20-minute quiet meditation to meditate on that. Um, how can I achieve a deeper sense of minuchata nefesh, of equanimity? Um, Abby talks about being around Yitz Greenberg. Sometimes when you're around certain people, it gives you equanimity. Um, what have I been envious of and why? Um, how do I let go of that? Faith in God. Um, oh, good, Elaine. So many, a bit overwhelming. Thank you for your chat comment. The idea here is not to become um, a, a master um, over these, all 40 of these. They are meant to spark your inner work during this month so that your heart is more open and you feel lighter because what what do we wear on the high holy days on Yom Kippur on the final big day white and why we're stripped down to our core we 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 peel off all the onion the things that are blocking us to the unique signatures of god that our souls are so Bye. thank yes please I'm sorry um, is there any correlation between this and then during high holidays, we do the prayer where we hit our hands to our hearts as we give up our sins? Is there any correlation there? Very good. Yes. You're talking about for the sin we have committed. Now, if you notice, when we do that and when we will do that in a few weeks, we do it as a community. It's always first person plural. Elul is like your own individual training. It's not group training, but yes. 
Um, I, I don't know the Toronto uh, Jewish educator who came up with this list, but there are overlaps with your astute observation. Um, faith in God, emunah, forgiveness, of course, slicha, generosity, nedivut. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of the Zoom meeting. Let me, can, I, can I call you back? Oh. Um, gratitude, hoda'ah, greed, ta'avat beitzah, hatred, sinah, honor, kavod. You know, you can think about how could I show a greater honor to certain people in my life? Um, humility, anivut. And again, remember what humility is. It's not thinking little of yourself. It's being aware of realities greater than yourself. That is something that can get better with age, like a lot of these. Uh, gratitude and humility, like being a part of this congregation, that's 168 or 169 years old, to be linked to that, to be linked to one of the greatest Jewish stories ever told, American Judaism, in 4,000 years, and in one of the 22 synagogues that founded it, like I wanna be in that family, you know, that to me, you know, that's, I'm, I'm part of that. Or I'm part of a larger uh, faith family, the Jewish people. So humility, anivut, can really induce awe and wonder, like you're in the redwoods looking up at the trees or looking at the sea, you know, how, how awesome. You can have that type of spiritual um, wonder uh, as well. Back a moment ago when we mentioned Slika, that made me think of Israel. Because when you bump into someone in Israel, you say Slika. Uh, which is excuse me. Now, which is excuse me, right? Russell was my uh, my travel companion in Israel. And we, we have to be honest on the High Holy Days, Russell. You said Slika often, but not many Israelis did. <laughs> they were pretty pushy. <laughs> I think they need to say slicha more. I mean, I know they have a lot of pressures. Um, let's go on here. I'm looking. I want to comment on these and ask anyone else to, to comment on them. Joy is simcha. Finding joy, especially during a very dark and sad and confusing and polarizing time. Finding joy is even more important. Um, laziness, atzlut. It's tough to get motivated sometimes. Leadership, hanhaga, life force, chiyut, love, ahava. And love, by the way, is not physical. It's in the heart. It's in those micro moments of connection. That's why it says, love your neighbor as yourself and love the stranger. Loving all people. That is something that's amazing when you work on that trait. Loving kindness, chesed. 
miserliness, tsaikinut, um, modesty, tsniut, order, seder. That's where the word seder comes from. Some of us, our lives are in disarray. So bringing more order to them. Oh, this one's, this one's a good one. Patience, savlanut. A lot of times during the year, we just get exasperated and we lose our patience. This one we could always work on. Presence, hineni. You've probably heard that phrase. And these Hebrew words are like mantras you can say as you're closing your eyes and meditating. Like, I want to work the next two minutes on just being more aware of being present. Judaism is a big mindfulness exercise. I know that's very vogue, and a lot of people talk about mindfulness and Buddhism, and they're all beautiful. It's all in Judaism. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Yeah. Um, thank you, Dr. Brooks. But to presence, hineni. Being as fully present as you can be with someone in an age when everybody's looking at their phone or multitasking, <laughs> this one would be a great one to take on in the new year, to be more face-to-face -face with people and not look past them or look at a screen or something else. That's why I, that's why I need a J whenever I teach. I could probably learn how to like use my feet like an organist and use my hands and pull up screens and read emails and, and do that while I'm counseling. But that's not, that's not about it, not just being right or being fair. I'm not present. Pride, ga'ava. Regret, charata. Regrets, I've had a few, right? Who hasn't had them, right? But moving forward does not mean forgetting. It means moving forward. Recognizing the good. Hakarat hatov. Sometimes we don't praise people enough. You know about repentance, that is not just... Um, teshuva means more than repentance. The Hebrew word means to turn. Literally, those steps that I mentioned, Maimonides and Rabbi Ruttenberg talks about. Usually it's like recognition, regret, remorse, repeat. Those are the four R's that I learned when it comes to Maimonides and beyond Maimonides, Teshuva. Recognition. Yes, I did something wrong. Regret, remorse. Um, really feeling awful about my hurting you or, um, and you know, when the person apologized to Terry, maybe Terry said, you know, it really wasn't that bad, but I mean, they needed to, cause they felt bad even. Um, and then returning and, and not repeating it, not making the same mistake. And it can be very serious sometimes, right? But teshuva, and that's why we have to give people credit when they turn themselves around. 
You know, the rabbis say, better someone falls with a moral sin or um, an ethical or a, a hurt and rises back up after going through teshuva than somebody who never sinned at all. And that's why, like, expungements from people, for people who, like, did not do violent crimes and may have made a really bad mistake and did their time and aren't violent and aren't a threat to society, you know, giving those people a chance. We've had people in our congregation who did their time in prison and couldn't find employers because it was, because society stigmatizes you if you've been locked up. But if you've done your time and you've done your teshuva, I got I to gotta give a shout out. Like, um, there are some companies that really do believe in second chances for people. Um, and I really admire them. That's why I like Trader Joe's, not just for the mango. Trader Joe's is awesome. <laughs> That's just one that I know of. Um, with with placement, as well as other companies who are out there on giving people second chances. Just like Warren Buffett told all billionaires, you should give half of what you have away. Government shouldn't make you do it, but you'll be fine. That guy isn't Jewish. He did support the rabbi and the congregation in Omaha, and um, he practices Nidivut generosity, which you see right in front of you. So, but some of us need to work on these. Recognizing the good, repentance, respect, restraint, kitapkut. Righteousness, ascetic, shame, busha. Shaming people is just wrong. We call it bullying now. Sometimes when you meditate on this, it's not that you did it, but if somebody did it to you, you need to let it go. Silence. It's a real tough one for Jews. Toughest part of leading services, silent meditation. I've said this before at TIU. There are not many Quaker Jews. If you've ever been to a Quaker meeting, I went to one. 15 minutes before anybody said anything. It was awesome. It would never work here. If I say we now pause for a moment of silent meditation, within 30 seconds, or somebody is starting to look at their watch or fidget. Oh, Elaine, my former rabbi in Eugene, Oregon, Rabbi Hanan, used to say my name is Hanan, and I go on and on. Nice. Um, slander. We know what that Lashon Hara, simplicity, Strength, gavura, truth, emet. Look at that word for truth, emet. It uses the first, middle, and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. First letter is an aleph, makes the sound eh. Second is m, mem, and the last letter, tav. To show that being honest and truthful is the beginning, the middle, and end of everything. If you don't lie, then you don't have to remember anything. You don't have to try to remember because 
whatever you if you just tell the truth, you don't have to make up stuff. And we're, trust in God, be tachon. I know that's hard for some people, but keeping faith does not mean certainty. Can today's slideshow be shared via email? I don't know what the copyright is with Abby's book. That's why, um, but this is recorded. It'll be out there. Um, watchfulness, zihirut, um, wealth, oshare, willingness, ratzon, worry, deaga. You know the uh, the first Jewish memo. It reads, "Worry now, details to follow." It's actually not a very Jewish memo. A Jewish comedian said that. Um, sure. The name of the book is, I'm going to put it in the chat, My Jewish Year by Abby Pogerbin. Um, And then, thank you for the suggestion, To, to all of you who suggested it. Um, and then fear, your ah, can also be interpreted as awe. So let's come back, please. Thank you so much, Ajay. Sometimes fear can paralyze, right? Oftentimes we speak of fearing God as opposed to loving God. I like to think of loving God and being in awe of life and all its blessings. But a lot of us, I think, are living, internalizing the fear. I just came from a camp this past Shabbat where they didn't do fireworks on July 4th, which was so sad because I was with all the alumni of this camp who are now leaders in the Jewish world. And, you know, we were talking about standing on the shoulders of our parents when we were younger and the parades and, and seeing fireworks. And now you can't do fireworks because it triggers gunshots for some of these kids. So you can't even, can't even do fireworks. So I think we live in an age where we need to find ways to release fear and to let the love in more. And I think this month of Elul calls us to do that. But there may be other specific attributes. Um, you know, if somebody's OCD, uh, to find ways to not be as compulsive or to, to worry if somebody is feeling the life's been taken out of them, if you saw that one midah of getting the life force back. Um, and you don't have to be a skilled meditator or practitioner of meditation. Sometimes it's just taking a few minutes every day. And this group tonight is going to be much more prepared on Rosh Hashanah than the people who just show up and they're like, hit me with it. It's kind of like showing up to a marathon 
I've run 19 of them. The training involved to run a marathon, if any, I know several of you have done it, takes six months, right? You got to build up the long runs from four miles to eight miles, build up to a 20 miler. Similarly, with spiritual exercises and your inner, I mean, if we, if we are not just physical, if we're also intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, we got to get conditioned. And that's what cheshbon hanefesh, that's the word that uh, Russell read, I think, that Yitz Greenberg emphasized, taking an accounting of the soul. It doesn't mean beating yourself up. It means getting lighter by asking forgiveness and, and believing that it's never too late to begin again, to start again, to pivot. I'm going to be quiet. I always promise we end on time. We have about seven minutes. I'd love to hear any of your reflections. And remember, I'm a Jew who's comfortable with silence. So we can wait. I think six of you are talking, but you're muted. Um, ben, go ahead. Um, I think what you said about... Um not putting yourself down really resonated with me. Um, you know, for me, what I'm trying to do this Elul is focus on um, one thing that I really struggle with is that I can be, well, a positive trait that I have is that I, I'm overbearingly confident. I just push forward when things are scary and I'm really good at that. But when things can get difficult, um, that can turn into arrogance pretty quickly that I really struggle with. And a lot of that comes from a limited sense of self-worth, right? And so I kind of replace it by putting it on other people. And so for me, what resonates with me when, when you're talking about not putting yourself down, it's like, it's actually kind of the opposite of being able to say, hey, I'm, I'm good as is. I don't need to have my self-worth be so impacted necessarily by challenges that I'm facing. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Wow, brother. I mean, you sound very evolved and very self-aware. And oftentimes, even if other people think you're awesome and you are, you have to believe it. So self-love, you can't love others, the Torah says, until you love yourself. And it's really interesting the way you see other um attributes we may need to get rid of, like arrogance as masking other things. A lot of people don't always see that. So that's great. Someone else um, want to share, please? Rabbi? Please. I was just thinking about, you know, every single year when I do Tashli and I really go introspectively and think about the things that I want to change about myself and do better. One of them is always gluttony, always, always gluttony, always battling my weight, battling my weight, battling my weight. At this point, I'm 71 years old. 
and it's a lot harder about your weight at my age than it was, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. And I am weighing a kind of a weight, the thing you're talking about right now, between beating myself up over it and accepting myself with it. That there's such a balance about overeating, wishing I would really control that and yet accepting this body that God has graced me with the way it is. So it's very, uh, it, there's a conundrum going on inside me, very deep. I want to um, recommend to all of us, not just Wendy, thank you for that. Rachel Riemann, Kitchen Table Wisdom. Have you ever read her? She was an amazing uh, physician who wrote about um, really life and the human condition. I think it's called Kitchen. Rachel Riemann, R-E-M-E-N. She tells the story of how she always was conscious about her weight, right? Like a lot of women and men are, but mostly women, you know, the whole body image thing that several of you can relate to. And she said the moment that broke it all open for her was she went on the beach somewhere, you know, she's a Californian. And this one woman who wasn't obese, but she was larger, went running past her into the water like so free and happy and fine and content. And Ra the upshot of the story, Rachel says, is basically, you know, I want what she has, <laughs> right? There's something, that woman was just awesome. It's kind of like if you've ever seen, what's that Broadway show written by Jews? Oh, they're all written by Jews. Watch the WKNO public television special on the greatest contribution Jews have made to music. It's everything. It's not just Rogers and Amenstein and Hairspray, right? The lead in Hairspray, that's kind of the idea. She's beautiful. No thin dancer can dance like that girl, <laughs> right? So I'm not, I'm not advocating um, gluttony. I'm not advocating being unhealthy. But I will tell you a true story. I mean, my, my mother's a nutritionist. I see she's on here. Going out to restaurants. She was also a restaurant reviewer. So when you're a kid, you had to decide whether it was a three or four or five. If you gave a restaurant a two, you got death threats at home. Approach life like a man whose hair is on fire approaches a pond. Joseph Campbell, that's great. So before we go, um, a true story. I'll show you who he is. He's the Dean of American Jewish History. I keep him in front of my computer. Dr. Jacob Rader Marcus. He founded the American Jewish Archives in Cincinnati. Um, I know our next president, Wendy, has a son named Jacob. My Jacob is named for this man. And I used to make him breakfast. He was my thesis advisor. And he always liked butter and eggs. And like white toast, no wheat. And like lots of butter. And he was 90, still writing books when I wrote my rabbinic thesis with him. And one day I used to make him breakfast and we'd take a walk and talk about my thesis. I made it with margarine. 
were like, not margarine, I don't want to say I know they're just as bad, but I made it with some lower fat something. And he's eating and he said, my boy, what is this crap? And I said, Dr. Marcus, I'm just worried about you. I, I want you to live a long life. He said, I'm 90 years old. How the heck? And he didn't say, heck, do you think I made it? Get the damn butter. So anyway, Wendy, I think you're beautiful as you are. And um, I just can't believe you ride the green line more than I run it. So um, 20 miles every day. Kanahura. Well, I hope everyone has back to the way we started the greetings. Lashana Tova Umituka, a sweet, healthy, good year. Thank you. And the same to you. And next week, don't miss Rabbi Dreyfus. And, and we have Professor uh, Rick from Ole Miss and our newest and greatest addition to our team, Emily Groff Heilborn. And then. I'll see you in the sanctuary. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you so much for taking time tonight. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Tanatova. 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 Tanatova.